Welcome to a special edition of Talking Tax. I'm Amanda Icone, reporting from the AICPA's annual SEC PCAOB conference in Washington. Cindy Fernelli, Executive Director of the Center for Audit Quality, joined me to talk about upcoming changes to the auditor's report and why audit quality indicators are suddenly getting so much attention. Cindy also discussed the new leadership at the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board and the role U.S. regulators are playing in the ongoing audit debate in the U.K. Thanks for joining me, Cindy. It's my pleasure, Amanda. We have um, a, a lot I'd love to chat with you about. When you mentioned audit committees um, in your address yesterday, you, you talked about empowering audit committees, that they are um, a, a critical part of that um, supply chain, as you, as, as you said, called it. Um, t- talk about their role and, um, and, and how the PREPARE community, the PCOB, how everyone can, as you say, empower the audit committee. What do you mean by that? Well, the audit committee is the nexus, if you will, or the center for all of the activity around financial reporting because they're responsible for overseeing financial reporting and overseeing the external auditor. And they stand in the shoes of investors. So they play that crucial central role. And so giving them the tools and the information that they need in their oversight activities, we think is really important, particularly because audit committees have so much on their plate. They are not only in charge of financial reporting and overseeing the auditor, oftentimes they have cybersecurity or risk on their plate as well. And so more and more you see the audit committee um, having those important roles. And so giving them those tools, uh, questions to ask, things to ponder, uh, we think is really helpful. So I've in the past likened the audit committee to the kitchen junk drawer. And I mean that with great respect because in my kitchen junk drawer is where my keys are and my glasses and my passport. So it's an important drawer in my house, but um, lots of stuff in there and sometimes it can get jumbled. And uh, I think audit committees sometimes are in that position too. They just have so much to focus on. So we want to do our part to to work with them, collaborate with them, and give them tools that can help them in their important oversight role. There was also some, um, someone, it might have been you, but someone mentioned yesterday about the proxy disclosures from audit committees and how those continue to evolve. Um, I wonder if you could talk about um, what you're seeing there and, and, and why some of those changes are, are noteworthy. Well, we, it was me who mentioned that because we put out every year Uh, with Audit Analytics and Audit Committee Transparency Barometer, where we look at the S&P 1500 proxy disclosures, specifically around what audit committees are saying about their oversight role. And we know that this is important to investors. Investors appreciate that audit committees are looking out for their interests. And they just want an affirmation from audit committees that they're doing their roles and responsibilities, that they're performing their roles and responsibilities. And so when we first started the the Transparency Barometer, we had a bit of a call to action to invite audit committees to enhance their disclosure. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, we got some pushback from some audit committee members saying, well, why should we tell people what our responsibilities are. It's in the regulations. It's in the laws. Why, why would we put that in the proxy? 
But the reason why is because investors want to know, yes, I've got this, I'm doing this. Um, and so they're not looking for a lot of proprietary information. They don't want to know how the audit mm -hmm. committee is fulfilling their responsibilities. They just want to know that the audit committee is fulfilling their responsibilities. So for instance, we've seen a, a huge increase over the last five years that we've done this on audit committee members disclosing the tenure of the auditor, uh, the audit firm. That, that's important to some investors, but it allows the audit committee an opportunity to explain why they've got a long-tenured auditor if they do, or if they change their auditor, why they change their auditor. And that's information that you don't get in the PCOB standard that requires the auditor to describe the tenure, but when audit committees do it voluntarily, it gives that context or that flavor. It, sh it shines some light on that relationship and how... Exactly. Um, another report that that you mentioned is, is has come out recently was looking at the use of robotics process automation and artificial intelligence. I wonder if you could recap um, some of your findings and, and what that report detailed. So it's so important uh, that audit committees in particular uh, be focused on this because we know companies are using automation more and more and enhanced technology and then of course the, the auditors are as well and so audit committees again being at the hub of this need to understand how those processes how those new tools those automated tools or those technological tools work and so our new tool which we released on December 12th uh, gives some ideas for audit committees to contemplate some some things to focus on uh, and so um, we wanted to again just give them considerations that they should think about as their company is using technology and the auditors are using technology. Audit quality indicators. Uh, switching gears here. Uh, AQI. They're getting, um, they seem, it seems to be a hot topic. They're sexy again. Coming yeah. up, um, <laughs> getting a lot of attention. You hear the, the PCOB board members talking about uh, AQI and, and how do they figure out what those indicators should or maybe could be. Um, what, when we say that, what do we mean by audit quality indicators and why is it getting so much attention right now? So this has been an issue that's frankly been in the professions. Uh, uh, eyesight as well as the PCOB's eyesight for several years now and um, I'm not quite sure why it's gotten increased focus recently by the regulators. The reason that we at the CAQ are focused on it and I, I don't want to say again because we've had it simmering um, but now it's uh, on the front burner if you will uh, is because um, as more and more firms issue quality reports, we see that it provides an insight into how the firm assesses quality. So we're going to issue a tool in 2019, uh, early 2019, that provides a framework. So as we look at the leading firms who issue quality reports, there is just a wealth of information in there about how that firm looks at audit quality and how that firm uses particular data to help them measure audit quality. 
But as we look at those reports, while they're all very, very fruitful in the information that they provide, there wasn't a common framework as to how that information was presented. And so we thought that this organic growth of increased disclosure by the firms on firm-wide audit quality indicators was a great development and one to be encouraged, but also appreciated that it was hard to look at, say, 10 of those reports and see where the commonalities were and where the, the, the differences were. And so we thought, well, let's create a framework to help our member firms provide that information. Now, where it gets difficult is each firm calculates things differently or defines things differently. And so you might have like categories, like say partner leverage um, or average years of experience. Uh, those are common enough indicators, but how they go about defining them is different. So we didn't want to be prescriptive and tell everybody this is how you have to define partner. We all might agree that uh, partners of experience is important, but if each firm defines it slightly differently, we didn't want to be prescriptive and tell them how they have to use it. So it's really more of a framework for presentation, if you will, allowing each firm to define their metrics um, as, as they will. Because we, we didn't want them to have to go back and redefine things. I mean, they're, they're defining their metrics, which works best for that individual firm. So the tool that we'll be releasing in early 2019 looks at firm-wide metrics. So this is about the audit firm. Second phase will be looking at engagement team metrics and, and indicators, if you will, which is harder to do, right? Because then you're getting more into the subjective or uh, qualitative type of metrics, which are so important to audit committees but are harder to define. So we wanted to do this in stages. And, and we anticipate that in the second or third stage, we will again have a companion piece for audit committees to help them understand uh, what these <coughs> metrics mean, how they might be used, and what they might not use, uh, be used for. But I thought it was interesting that when we heard um, discussions yesterday by the regulators, that we had a conversation about how you could look at AQIs and the disclosure of AQIs much like you do uh, non-GAAP measures, right? Consistency and, and comparability uh, and, and not cherry picking the data is gonna be really important uh, as firms use this framework. And then the, the PCAOB, of course, has audit quality indicators in their strategic plan. And I don't think they've yet articulated publicly how they're going to use those audit quality indicators. I suspect that they might be using them uh, for monitoring purposes, so um, in the inspections process, but I don't know that for sure, so more to come on that. Speaking of the PCAOB, um, all five of them were together yesterday on stage here at AICPA. You mentioned that that is um, an unusual or maybe perhaps the first time that's happened. Can you talk about the significance of all five of the board members being here together on stage talking about oh, audit issues. standards and audit quality? Yeah. So, uh, I don't know if they've ever appeared all five together before. It's the first time they've appeared at this conference. 
before. Certainly the chair of the PCOB has spoken at this conference before, individual board members have, but it's the first time, at least in my 12 years in the profession, that you've had all 12 PCOB board members on stage together. So it really was unprecedented. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, I think it, it showed that this new board is not only collaborative with all of the stakeholders in the ecosystem or the supply chain, but collaborative with one another. And you know, anytime you have a new leader of an organization, he or she is going to have a different leadership style. And I think Chairman Dunkey's leadership style is collaborative. He wants to hear about the expertise and the ideas that this board brings. So for the first time, you've had a preparer on the PCOB board. For the first time, you've had a CPA from one of the big four accounting firms who has deep post-Sarbanes-Oxley experience in public company audits. Um, I think for the first time, you've had an academic. For the first time, you've had um, somebody from uh, the consulting area and a cybersecurity expert with Kathleen Hamm. So you, you've got a real diversity of experience on that board, and I think Chairman Dunkey and the other board members are, are demonstrating that they are committed to drawing upon those experiences that they all bring to bear and not just collaborate with all of the stakeholders, but collaborate amongst themselves. And so uh, that is, I think, exciting to see, and, and it was nice for them to publicly display that. It was interesting to hear them sort of recap the year that they've had and the work that they've been doing and, um, and get a better understanding of how they see their job and their, their, the, the tasks that they've set out for themselves. Um, and they, there seemed to be real camaraderie amongst them, which was nice to see. Um, I think uh, when people come from those, th those different backgrounds, uh, or such different backgrounds from one another, they might not always agree, and I think they acknowledge that, that they don't always agree, but they seem to like one another and seem to like the debate and the discussion, which to me means that they're going to function better. Having a robust dialogue, particularly I think when you disagree at times with people or have different points of view, I think leads to better results than if you all come from the same background and all think the same way. You might get to an answer quicker, but I don't think it's going to be as good of, of an answer. Do you think that will that um, camaraderie, that collaborative spirit, will extend to the stakeholders? I definitely and do. They have a we've, lot of them. <laughs> we've seen that they do have a lot of stakeholders, and I think um, I think we've seen that already. What will be interesting is. They don't have jurisdiction over all of those stakeholders, right? They really only have jurisdiction over the auditors. So they can't tell audit committees what to do. They can't tell preparers what to do. But they can get their insights and understand if we do a standard on XYZ, how is that going to impact you, the preparer? Right? What are going to be those pressure points for you and the auditor if we adopt this new standard? And that's important information to hear. I think sometimes, or, or in the past, maybe where some of the outreach hasn't gone so well was not an explicit acknowledgement, or may I even dare say, understanding of where the jurisdictional lines were. And I think at times, 
uh, at least some of the audit committee members with whom I spoke felt as though they were being dictated to or interfered with by an entity that didn't regulate them as opposed to seeking their counsel, understanding their points of view, seeing how something was going to impact them, but rather were being told how to do something. It's a very different approach. Very different approach. And uh, at the CAQ, we strive very hard to convene and collaborate and get various points of view. So that's how we operate. So that's how I think we should operate. Um, and so that is an, a, a, an approach that I very much support and, and see the value of. It's not the only approach, though. And I'm not necessarily saying that the other approach is wrong. But my own personal opinion is that you get a better result if you do that. It's harder, takes longer, uh, and you have to guard against going with the lowest common denominator uh, and, and push through the, the disagreements and the different points of view. But I think you end up with a much better result. So uh, another PCOB-related question, um, this one related to the UK audit debate. Um, there, I have heard concerns that the PCOB members are not um, <clears throat> speaking clear enough, loudly enough, frequently enough about the U.S. audit marketplace. Um, I think Chairman Dunkey addressed it yesterday. He mentioned that the U.S. has been through its own audit crisis and um, that, that the U.K. has to work through this and they will need to come up with solutions that work for them. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it, it, the crisis across uh, in the UK has not spread here. There does not seem to be this widespread concern about the reliability of audit. You have mentioned that investors still trust the audit, um, that it's a reliable um, part of, uh, of the capital marketplace. Um, is the PCOB speaking enough about this? I mean, should they be speaking more? Is it, it's not really an issue here. Well, a couple of things on that point. I think we don't know what conversations the PCOB is having with those in charge of the inquiries in the UK. Um, I suspect that uh, those that are leading those inquiries are speaking with the SEC and the PCOB. I know they've spoken to us, so I would have to assume that they're also speaking to their, their, um, their, their colleagues in the regulatory arena. If they're speaking to us, I'm guessing that they've spoken to the PCOB and the SEC at length. Um, the inquiry into the UK marketplace is multifaceted, right? They are looking at audit quality, but they're also looking at concentration and competition which is an issue that we don't focus on here in the United States, so, for better or worse. Um, so I think there's that difference. I also think that what uh, Chairman Dunkey said is true. In the 2000s, early 2000s, we did have our own audit crisis, our financial reporting crisis. And it resulted in Sarbanes-Oxley, which took a holistic approach at the supply chain, right? So in the UK, you don't have that system. 
it, it's more siloed or bifurcated. So I think that's one of the things that uh, the Kingman inquiry is looking at. Should the regulator include more, you know, it, it would have to be revamped, but should the regulatory system look more at the holistic system? So you heard uh, Wes Bricker yesterday talk about you know, the, the, from the, the process from start to finish, right? It starts with a company's books and records and it ends with the audit opinion and then all of the steps that come in between. And so I, I think that Jay Clayton, Wes Bricker, Bill Dunkey all think we have a strong, robust system that works I think, though, that to the extent you're not hearing them recommend to the UK that they adopt our system, it's out of respect for the differences, right? Each jurisdiction is different. And as you mentioned, Amanda, the, the, the UK government's going to have to do what's right for their marketplace. But I do think that there are lessons to be learned from us. And, and having a strong regulator I think is what differentiates us from every other market in the world. And, and I know companies sometimes feel that burden of regulation. Uh, I, Bill Hinman uh, from Corp Finn uh, mentioned that they're going to relook at 404B, the application of 404B to smaller cap companies. I think that's a mistake if we would scale back the application of 404B because that is part of the strong regulatory system that we have. And so I think it's important that we have that strong system. I think that's why our system works and I think it's why our markets are strong even prior to the financial reporting scandals of the Enron WorldCom days. We still had a strong system and that's why we can weather these, these storms that sometimes are quite violent uh, and ferocious. And so I think there's a lot that can be learned from the U.S. regulatory model, but I do think that the U.K. has to do what's right for them. You mentioned competition and concentration. Um, the, the, it, it's not too, the landscape here in, in that regard is not terribly different. And you mentioned that it's not something that gets a lot of attention here. Um, should it? Does it matter? I mean, if we're able to weather those storms with the system we have, is that, is that an indication that, it, that it's working fine? Is there room for improvement there? Well, I think that as we look at the audit market, it's no secret that the big four audit the largest companies predominantly. I think I don't know what the numbers are, but I think the big four do 100% of the Fortune 500, yeah. right? And I think their overall market is, is, is high. Their market uh, command is high of all audits of any size company. But if you think of the number of companies, even if it's, I don't know what the percentage is, let's say it's 90%. They do 90% of all audits, the, the six largest firms. And I'm, I'm making that number up. But, but let's say that's true. That's still 10% of you know, 7,000 registrants. registrants that are being audited by smaller firms. That's a lot of people's investments. And then you think about the people that are invested in those companies. That's a lot of people. Those are a lot of companies. And we need to have a regulatory model, and we do have a regulatory model, that works for all companies and all size auditors. 
And so that scalability, if you will, making sure that as the PCOB issues a new standard, that it works for the very largest firm and the very smallest firm is really important. And, and if you look at, we, we have a smaller firm task force at the CAQ that's comprised of these smaller firms below the, the even the top eight. They, their proportion of public company audits to private company audits is small, right? So they do predominantly private company or governmental audits. And yet, they still have to comply with the public company auditing standards put out by the PCAOB. And so we try very hard as we're commenting on proposed standards that the PCOB puts forth to make sure that they're thinking about these scalability issues so that those companies that want to compete or those firms that want to compete into the marketplace are able to do so without regulatory burdens that are disproportionate to them. Final question. We've covered a lot. We have. It's been. It's, it's kind of been like a 12-year <laughs> review in, in 20 minutes. I like that. Um, looking ahead to 2019. Um, what I don't have to. No, I'm kidding. I'm well, kidding. you'll be here for a few I'm months kidding. next year. I was kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, what are the big trends, big topics, um, big issues coming down for 2019? Well, I do think implementation of the, the auditor's report is going to continue to be huge. Right? That is a big undertaking. It is a, a, a massive change. It's a good change. It's a change that, that allows insight into the audit process, which I think is good for all of us, that, that we know investors value the audit. And so giving them insight into how that audit process works, I think, is great. Um, again, emerging technology, that's going to be transformative. Something that's important there, though, I think, is I think there's a tendency, I know I personally have this tendency, to try to jump from 10 years from now. I think, okay, here we are now. You know, I've got my iPhone, I've got my iPad. What's it gonna be like in 10 years? It's gonna be so different. It's gonna be incremental, it's gonna be condensed incremental change, but it's still gonna be incremental change. So we're gonna go from zero to 100, where it might have taken us 100 years to do that before. We might do it in 10 years, but we're still gonna have stops along the way. And so I think focusing on the here and now and how we're using technology now to enhance companies' performance and audit quality is going to be important. So, so I think that's going to be a big focus for the profession. And by the profession, I mean all of us, the regulators, uh, management, accountants, and public company auditors. I think quality control is going to be really important. We heard uh, the PCOB yesterday say that they're going to come out with a quality control standard. They're looking at that. I, I think that's integral to inspections, right? That's basically what the inspectors are looking at is the system, the uh, firm's system of quality control as they implement and adhere to PCOB standards. It's, it's, to me, it's fundamentally about quality control. So I think that's going to be a focus. Um, and you'll see that through AQIs, you'll see that through the, the PCOB's revamped inspections program. I think you'll see it not only on the quality control standard, but on any standard that they do. And then um, another one that I would add is, is the talent pipeline. Um, as I was uh, doing the PCAOB panel yesterday, moderating, moderating that panel, 
uh, you know, I could see the questions that were coming through the audience. And a couple of people had asked the question about, are people coming into the profession going to be able to use all of this technology that's being developed? And who's going to train them on that technology, right? Now, the way the system works is, you know, older auditors, more experienced auditors train the new incoming auditors. Are they going to be able to do that? Are they going to be facile in the new technology? I, you know, I liken it to, and I don't know, because at the CAQ we've got pretty rudimentary uh, technology because we're not, you know, performing an audit or, or uh, a company producing a, a good or a service. Uh, we're a policy organization, so we don't rely heavily on technology. But I liken it to, maybe I shouldn't tell this story, but, you know, over Thanksgiving I had to have my son hook up my, my system so that I could watch Amazon Prime and Netflix. I didn't know how to do that. He knew how to do that. So if I were in charge of training somebody how to do that, I would have to be trained, right, as opposed to just my son coming in and it took him five minutes. And I have no idea how he did it. And I keep my fingers crossed that it doesn't disconnect somehow <laughs> so that I'll have to try to figure out how to do it again without his help because he, he lives in Beijing, so he's not going to be able to help me. No. Uh, but um, that's a, probably a bad analogy, but, but you know, who is going to train these, these incoming people? The audit is going to be totally transformed, I think, for the better. And, and that's why I asked the question of, of uh, Jay Clayton. Is the SEC satisfied that they're hiring people that understand the technology, right? We all are going to have to understand this technology if we're going to use it. And if you're a company or you're a regulator or you're an audit firm, you need people who understand how to use this technology and how to train people to use the technology. It's, um, I suspect that it'll happen incrementally, right? I mean, this I think is so. an ongoing conversation that um, we will continue to monitor. And I know I've been writing a lot about the pipeline and training and the needs of the firms. Well, I'd like to thank Cindy Fernelli, Executive Director of the Center for Audit Quality, for joining me today. This has been great. I've thoroughly enjoyed it, Amanda. Thanks for having me, and thanks to all your listeners. Happy holidays. Happy holidays.